what takes away my right to be able to choose where my kids are educated? If I cannot homeschool them, why do I not have another option? Why would I have to choose the public school? I don't agree with the way that the public school teaches. I don't feel that they have strong enough academics. I should be able to have a choice how my children are raised. I want more for them and um, I want them to have more opportunities and more experiences in life. Welcome to Reality Check, a weekly podcast about anything and everything having to do with education. I'm Jeannie Allen, founder and CEO of the Center for Education Reform. Welcome to Reality Check. This is Jeannie Allen. Today I'm in the studio with my new co-host and colleague, Michael Musante, and we're excited to discuss the most important educated-related Supreme Court case in over 50 years. On January 22nd, the justices of the Supreme Court will take up Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue, which challenges the decision of the Montana Supreme Court to hold a life-saving scholarship program enacted democratically by the legislature as unconstitutional. Michael, can you believe that that's actually the case? Sadly, yes. Yes, um, you know, far be it for uh, far be it for a democratically elected legislature to go ahead and represent what the people want, and then have it not uh, challenged by someone, and then have to have a Supreme Court weigh in. Well, we are really excited to be actually talking with a representative of the people in just a minute. Uh, in fact, the plaintiff in the case, Kendra Espinosa herself. But before I do, let me just give you the scoop as summarized best in the court filing of the Institute for Justice, which is representing Kendra and her uh, co-parents in this suit. Quote, in 2015, Montana legislators created a scholarship program to help families send their children to the school of their choice. Families, many of whom live in poverty, immediately signed up to use the scholarships at schools that met their children's individual needs, whether those schools provided stronger academics and escape from bullies and violence or values that align with what families taught at home. In 2018, however, the Montana Supreme Court declared the program unconstitutional under Article 10, Section 6.1 of the Montana Constitution solely because it gave families a choice of using their scholarships at religious schools. As I mentioned, the name plaintiff in the case is a Kalispell, Montana, single mom of two girls, Kendra Espinoza, who, along with fellow moms Jerry Anderson and Jamie Schaefer, challenged the state court's ruling against the program that they believe best provides them access to an exceptional education for their children. Also joining us today is Erica Smith, the co-counsel in this case, working to defend educational choice programs for the Institute of Justice in courtrooms nationwide. Erica was also instrumental in convincing the Puerto Rico Supreme Court to reject a teacher's union challenge to the Commonwealth's voucher program. They are no strangers to the effort to make sure that everyone has equitable access to great education Institute of Justice. So welcome, Erica, and thank you in particular, Kendra, for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. Well, so this is an exciting time. Here we are, Kendra, on the eve of literally what we consider, so many of us, one of the most important cases regarding educational opportunity being argued in front of the Supreme Court ever, and it has your name on it, along with these other two brave moms. Kendra, tell yeah. us how you got here. So we were introduced to it in 2015, and found out about the ruling by the Department of Revenue, and we were asked if we would join this case, and 
we agreed to it because it makes sense. So, Kendra, what was the program specifically that you signed up uh, for to help your kids? So you've got two daughters, ages mm-hmm. what? So my girls are in eighth grade and sixth grade, ages 14 and 11. Okay. And you were homeschooling them, I believe, prior? I had. Prior to public school, they had been homeschooled, or the older one had been homeschooled. Then they had a couple of years at public school, a few years there. And then uh, we started at Stillwater Christian School um, after that. What was going? What was the public school like where you sent your daughters? Well, they they weren't challenged um, like I wanted them to be challenged. Academically, they weren't challenged um, the way I wanted them to be. Uh, there was just more of a an attitude of, I guess, from their peers, more of an attitude of disrespect towards authority and towards other students. And I didn't really want that lifestyle for them. I didn't want them to learn that. I wanted them to be taught more from a values-based perspective um, to mirror what we were teaching at home. And so you, um, from what we've read and heard now Mm -hmm. all over um, the news and papers and and the great stuff uh, being written about your crusade here, you decided to choose Stillwater Christian, but that must have been, that would have been a heavy lift to pay for, right? It was absolutely a heavy lift, yes. Um, I didn't know, honestly, when I first looked at the school, how we would make that happen. I didn't know how we would be able to afford that, but we got creative and uh, started. I took on extra jobs doing janitorial work and bookkeeping from home. Uh, my older daughter started mowing lawns for the neighbors. Uh, we hosted a big yard sale to try to raise some funds and took donations from people for that and sold uh, everything that we could find at our house and everything that we took in and just to try to make enough money to make ends meet and then took anything that I had in savings and and every year it's a continual struggle and every year I revisit it and say can I continue to do this this year and we just go on faith and keep walking. And so the program that uh, allowed you to have a scholarship to to make up the difference um, was it a program that you were familiar with was it was new in 2015 right? That, that program was new, been, was new in 2015. We've also been getting um, assistance through the school. They have a financial assistance program as well, too. So they are able to help us out as well, um, although there's always still that need for me to work extra jobs. So I've been always working extra jobs, usually two or three jobs at a time, and to try to make it happen. Kendra, was there was there the light bulb moment? I guess you mentioned earlier when Erica reached out to you. Was there a light bulb moment where you said, absolutely, I want to be the name on a Supreme Court case? Or obviously, <laughs> you didn't know it was going to go to that extent. No. But there's so many moments in life where you look back and you say, that was the light bulb moment where I decided, these are my children. I mm-hmm. I am working to the bone. They are working, which, which to mm-hmm. me is even... Not that you're, you know, a parent will do anything for a child, but their your own children decided that they were going to work as well for this educational opportunity. So was there that light bulb moment? Was it when Erica Smith called you? So Erica and I and uh, Dick Comer um, all sat down together for coffee and we talked about this case. And at that time, I had no idea that this would ever end up at the Supreme Court. That was such a foreign concept to me. And, and even if I had known that, I don't know that I would have realized at that time the implications of that and what that would have meant and how big it really 
could have become and how important this case was. But I recognized that this was a way that I could help not only our family, but other families. And it was kind of my way of wanting to contribute to our community. Um, I recognized that it was going to benefit other families across Montana, but I certainly didn't realize that it was going to affect or impact so many families across America. Did you know that there were families across America having similar challenges as you and that there were these controversies surrounding educational opportunity? Yeah, Erica and and Dick had talked about that at the time, that there were other states that had similar situations with their Blaine Amendments, but I really hadn't delved into the case enough to really understand that or or really see how big of an issue it was for these other states. Kendra, let me ask you, prior to meeting uh, the folks at Institute for Justice, as you are going about your daily business, working hard to educate your daughters, were you aware that educational choice and opportunity was even this big of an issue as you've seen it become now when you think about this court case around the corner on January 22nd? No, I had absolutely no idea. Really, this case has opened up so much for us and taught my girls and and I so much about um, school choice and education reform. And I had no idea that really there was so much to it or that so many people struggled with it or that... um, that the Department of Revenue even could step in and and um, make a ruling that they did. And have there been Montana families that have rallied around you? Obviously, I mean, it's a tight group of of people mm-hmm. out there who, who are consistently fighting for. So have you found, you know, there's there's people you never would have thought have come out of the woodwork and said, my God, the, the changes you're doing for us is just incredible and we're there for you? I have had some people message me and say, thank you for fighting this case. And I have never met them before. Um, People that really, uh, maybe their homeschool families, um, some of them I have met, but there's a great uh, support group in um, our area in Kalispell of um, homeschool families and other Christian families that have all really stepped up and said, thank you for doing this. We appreciate it. Because for all of them, it means that this is an opportunity for them to be able to continue to keep their kids where they want to keep them. And this was a scholarship program for parents who don't have the means to otherwise pay out of their pocket. I think a lot of people, frankly, Kendra, when you live in Washington, D.C., where we are based, if you're in New York or L.A. or all of these uh, very um, elite areas tend to think Montana's mm-hmm. where you go to fish and ski and there's whitefish <laughs> and everybody has beautiful houses and and creeks behind and, and has second and third homes. And yet, most of Montana is actually really ordinary, important people like you and I who are just doing their work every day. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it is all of those things that you spoke of earlier, and we certainly are very, very fortunate to live in such a beautiful area. But it is, I think, sometimes here harder to make a living than in some of the bigger cities because um, standards of living are a little bit lower here for those that live here year-round. Um we kind of live in a resort area, so home prices are higher and general in general prices are higher than you would find in a bigger city. So it does make it a little bit more challenging for us people that live here year round. 
Let's talk about the origins of uh, the Blaine Amendment, which is at issue in this case. Erica Smith from the Institute of Justice, I'd love to bring you into this discussion. Give, give us some history about the case. We've talked about the Blaine Amendment a little bit here on Reality Check. As you know, CER and many, many other people besides us put in amicus briefs. You know, James G. Blaine was this 19th century senator who... Um, seem to be on this crusade, I'd say, uh, to ensure that no one really got an education in America ever uh, with support from Americans that had a religious interest. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Uh, James Blaine was, as you said, a senator. He was a U.S. representative. He also tried to run for president. Uh, and he was also a political opportunist. And when he came to power in the late 1800s, there was already a problem with anti-Catholicism that was brewing in the country for decades. In the mid-1800s, there was a big wave of Catholic immigrants that came over from Ireland and other European countries that were trying to find a better life. And they were coming to this country, which at the time was predominantly Protestant. And the Protestant elite in this country was afraid that these Catholics were going to threaten their way of life, especially their schools, because the the public schools at the time were actually they're not they were not the secular institutions that we know today. They were predominantly religious and Protestant. The children would read from Protestant hymn books and prayer books and read from the Protestant Bible. And Catholic students who refused would be beaten and and expelled. So. The new Catholics were not happy about this situation, and they wanted funding for their own school so they wouldn't be forced to go to the Protestant public schools. And as a reaction, states passed these Blaine Amendments, and these Blaine Amendments prohibited any funding to go to sectarian schools, which was code for Catholic. And this was fueled by anti-Catholicism, and as a result, 37 states wound up passing them into their state constitutions. And this was an entire movement led by James Blaine. And what strikes me is so ironic, Erica, is the very people who oppose Kendra, people like Kendra all across the country, making choices for their kids in schools that do, in fact, affiliate religiously with an institution, we're like defending the fact there was religion in these original schools. In fact, when the common school started, it was very clear that you were to be part of the Protestant work ethic, the Protestant psyche. No, no disrespect to my friends, the wasps out there. I am a Catholic, so I take this a little bit personally, but not really because it happens. But they act and operate the unions and the other people against this issue as if there was never any religion, in any kind of publicly funded school. Oh, that that's right. And by using these Blaine amendments that were originally motivated by bigotry and now using them to discriminate not just against Catholic schooling, but all religious schooling, it's really exacerbating the original discrimination by applying it to all religions. It, could you still use the word bigotry? <laughs> I, I, I would, um, you know, just again, I'm Catholic as well. And but but when I look at this weekend, this past weekend, uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, <clears throat> charter schools were not invited into an an education forum sponsored by the union. 
um, that was supposed to be on public education. So you had 250, uh, nearly 300 uh, charter school activists, parents, the vast majority low-income minority outside, not invited in, right? Not invited in. Uh, but but stand outside. We we don't need your voices here. And so at the end of the day, uh, it comes down to a bigotry against parents who want something better for their children. And it's institutionalized by these groups, these special interest groups. And if you dare defy them, then you are, you know, you are the outcast. You are the the evil one trying to destroy. The little red schoolhouse in America. No, I I think that's right. And Kendra and the other families involved in this case, they just want a choice. They just want to be able to send their children to a school that best meets their individual needs. And Kendra has found that with Stillwater, and other families have found that with other private schools. And they should be able to have this program that the legislature enacted for them. But the only reason they can't have it is because the Montana Supreme Court struck the program down, just because it included religious schools. So that is definitely discrimination against religion. You know, I want to get, um, you know, I want to see how Kendra reacts to something that we heard over the weekend, Michael alluding to these protests in Pittsburgh and parents on the outside and they were largely disrespected because they didn't believe that every public school should be given a chance to educate their children because they feel like they can't really wait. So, you know, if you get to the point where someone says to you, Kendra, you have to wait, like you, you can't go there, what, what do you say to those people? That I can't go there. You can't, um, you can't I, have a school to send your child to that you choose. I mean, forget about even the scholarship program and the fact that, you know, working three and four jobs, maybe you can. But just from the perspective of a parent, how do you react when someone says you have to wait? You need to you need to go to the public school and, and make sure that help that school get better. I, I guess my question to them would be why? What what makes what takes away my right to be able to choose where my kids are educated? If I cannot homeschool them, why do I not have another option? Why would I have to choose the public school? I don't agree with the way that the public school teaches. I don't feel that they have strong enough academics. I should be able to have a choice how my children are raised. I want more for them and um, I want them to have more opportunities and more experiences in life. You know, it's such a great point you make. Uh, another uh, area that we feel is just critical that people understand is, you know, in 1875, uh, there was no technology, right? I know I'm saying the obvious right, to yeah. you, um, as Michael and I are sitting here with our phones in a studio. But what we know today, both because of the science that is accessible to us about how the brain works, as well as the role of technology in being able to deliver the most amazing kinds of material and information that can be used and tailored to your needs simply didn't exist in a day and age when, let's say, for the sake of charity for a moment, James Blaine had some point. Okay, He wanted to civilize these uncivilized immigrants coming from all over the world. They were called lots of worse things than that, including my family. But let's just say there was a, there was a point to it. 
But yet here we are, 150, more than 150 years later, um, well over more than 150 years later, and we've got a whole different world today. So wouldn't that itself make a justification for doing education differently? Absolutely. The opportunities that we can get even at our school um, are so much greater than what we can get at the public school. If the opportunity is there, why should we be excluded from tapping into that? What are some of the things you like best about your school, Kendra? Initially, uh, when I um, put my girls at Stillwater Christian School, it was because of the faith-based um, education. And that was very important to me. I wanted my girls to have a strong sense of right and wrong from a biblical perspective. I, I wanted them to know that um, our ethics and our morals come from God's word, not just man's ideas. And so I wanted them to be taught from a uh, biblical worldview. But academically, they have, um, they have an incredible music program that has really made a difference for my girls, and they are thriving with that. They have a fantastic art program. And I know that the arts and the music really do make a difference in uh, how children learn and how well they learn. Um, but then they have, you know, their standards for math and sciences. They don't use the Common Core uh, program, so they have their own uh, more traditional type uh, schooling. And I feel that the kids learn a lot better. There's a lot more hands-on learning going on there. The teachers give them a lot more one-on-one -on -one attention. Um, everything is geared towards kind of being like a family. We really appreciate that. And my kids have thrived there. They've really kind of come out of their shells and feel like they're comfortable. They know the teachers and they're taught to respect the teachers. They're taught to respect other students. And those are the things that are valuable to me. And Kendra, what, what sort of support have you received from other states, from other folks? Just a, the occasional um, email message now and then or, or, or Facebook message now and then from other families. Um, just saying thank you and keep fighting the fight. And really, that's been about it. Um, other families here in the in the Valley, I've had a lot of them come and talk to me and talk to me on the phone, people that I know personally, and just say thank you. And they're always there to support us. So I, I have to tell you that, that your story about your jobs uh, takes me back to um, uh, former Speaker John Boehner. Uh, who is the longtime champion of the Opportunity Scholarship Program here in the District okay. of Columbia, uh, used to talk about why he was such a huge champion for um, school choice and educational opportunity. And one of what he said was, uh, as he was working in his father's bar, uh, <laughs> the, the individuals in the community, in the parish, uh, helped him, helped his family pay his tuition so that he could have a better future, a better education first and a better future. And he became Speaker of the House. And I, I just have to see that there's this huge comparison uh, staring me right in the face, Kendra, with what you are doing right now and what John Boehner's story was and how he fought tirelessly, tirelessly uh, for this program. And and I was looking, I was doing a little research, Jeannie, and and Kendra, correct me if I'm wrong here. Kalispell is the gateway to the National Glacier Park. Is that correct? Absolutely, it is. And now Kendra Espinosa from Kalispell is the gateway for hopefully what I'm thinking. And Erica, I'd love for you to comment on this. 
millions of children across this country, the gateway to a better education. Uh, Kendra, that's on your shoulders. No, I'm just kidding. But Erica, um, I think, Jeannie, if we don't mind, because I want to pivot just quickly. Well, before you pivot, I was just going to say it's it's people like John Boehner that John, James Blaine was after, this Irish right. Catholic immigrant whose right. parents let him work in a bar. Right. I mean, oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. <laughs> Go back and ring, you know, read the King James Bible or whatever they read. I mean, it, you know, it, it is it is this is like a great paradigm. It's a it great is. example. Oh, you could, that you could where, make a whole where, sitcom. Right. On where TV the 19th over. century people were probably like, oh, my gosh, they don't know how to dress. They've got I mean. Kendra, funny customs. The funny customs. I mean, I don't know, Kendra, if you've seen these, Eric, I know you have because we're kind of in that same space and we have the luxury of looking at this stuff every day. But the Thomas Nast cartoons um, from back in the day that portray like the church as alligators and and James Blaine is protecting these children and the children in the cartoon look like little urchin people. Like little poor urchin people that don't know how to dress, and they've got like dark swathy stuff under their under their eyes, oh. and it's it's um, the stereotypical stuff. I mean, where are these righteous opponents and in indignation at that? Uh, Erica, I the the Institute for Justice, and I was I was able to um, I was able to sit in on a great presentation by David Hodges from your staff at ALEC. And um, it's it's post Espinoza. What happens, right? Um, so many of us are hoping, praying uh, for a broad interpretation, one that goes way beyond Montana. Um, I, I love our chances on that because we've got a what I think is a court that gets this issue fundamentally. So can you give us a little idea of where we think is going, where this is going? I think it's going big places. We are feeling very confident. Uh, I think what's likely going to happen is the court will say that it, it would be unconstitutional to exclude religious options from a school choice program or to interpret a Blaine Amendment in that way. And I think that is going to open up school choice for a lot of states that previously have not been able to pass a program because of their plain amendment. And and I think we all want to partner clearly in taking whatever the court gives us and and making a a push, a very strong push to wipe out as many of these Blaine amendments off of these state law uh, law books forever. And you know, really at the end of the day, I think that's exactly right. The the opportunity here is opportunity. Uh, someone, someone, uh, we talk about this a lot. I mean, someone said to me recently, you know, it's not even just, it's not school choice, right? I mean, that's a common term that we have um, had over the years to describe these programs, but it's not the school's choice. It's the, it's education opportunity, whatever that looks like from K through career. I mean, we can be learning all the time, anywhere. It doesn't have to be the one room or the 1500 person school anymore with brick and mortar. It doesn't have to be that, you know, fourth grade looks like, you know, it always did with nine and 10 year olds. I mean, why education is even structured the way it is anymore when we know so much, we have access to so much information that learning should be so much more about the opportunity to experience and and kind of drive things. So I think you're right, Eric. It's not only going to 
open up the the gateway, as Mike was saying before, to to better and more meaningful education, but give us the chance to help people like Kendra really define what school should mean for her kids. Kendra, do you think that that's a vision that you could you, you'll see in your your lifetime? I would really like to see that for our family and for these other families. And just being a part of this case has really broadened our um, perspective a lot on opportunities. And for my children, having these opportunities, being a part of this case has really opened their eyes to, wow, the world is out there. I could do all of these different things. And that in itself has been an education for them. But this is giving them, um, solidifying for them that they can go anywhere and that they can do anything with their life, with whatever they choose to do, wherever they choose to go. If they're willing to work hard for it and there's programs available for it, then we tap into those wherever we can. But we're willing to work hard to do what we can. And I'm so excited that you have found the Institute for Justice, which is just one of the pioneering and uh, Mm -hmm. truly unique organizations out there that's helping take the cause of real Americans um, as high as they need to go. So, Erica, with that in mind, I wonder if you wouldn't mind helping us kind of close this episode out by just kind of walking through what's going to happen January 22nd. So I presume, Kendra, you and your daughters will be here maybe and, and, yes. and, the, and the other parents? Yes, we will be there. And what happens, Erica, at the court that day? And then what happens afterwards? Well, uh, the court will hear the argument from both sides at at 10 o'clock. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, We're going to talk for about 20 minutes. The Solicitor General is is supporting us in this, so he's going to talk for 10 minutes, and Montana is uh, going to present their side. And the court's going to consider all the arguments, and we feel very confident that that they'll side with us and the Solicitor General. After the argument is over, there's going to be a press conference. There's, I think, going to be a lot of children there so, you know, expressing their support. Uh, and we're going to talk to the cameras and tell them what happened, and hopefully we can claim victory. And uh, we expect a decision from the case probably late June. Okay. It'll be a happy summer. I, I am I am hopeful. Well, we can't thank you enough, Kendra Espinoza of Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue, more importantly, of her family and mom, and Erica Smith from the Institute of Justice for uh, joining us today on this edition of Reality Check. Um, Michael Masanti, I think this is just a fabulous case and so exciting. Well, thanks for having us. For those of you who'd like to know more about Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue and the Blaine Amendment, you can find it on edreform.com, our Blaine on Trial website, which links to everything the Institute for Justice has and all the other groups that are petitioning the court to hear about this. And uh, obviously, we will be watching. Godspeed. Have a wonderful holiday. And thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Our guest today in Reality Check has been Kendra Espinoza. Kendra, like Rosa Parks of bus riding fame or Oliver Brown, the lead plaintiff in the historic Brown versus Board of Education, has the potential 
to be included in this illustrious company when her case, Espinosa versus Montana Department of Revenue, appears before the Supreme Court, and God willing, they rule in favor of parents having the opportunity to choose the school of their choice. With me today has been Michael Musanti, my co-host. Thank you, Jeannie. Thank you for joining me, Michael, and thank you all for listening. Tune in next week for another great edition of Reality Check. Until then, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and may peace and joy be with all of you.